FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 486 of the podcast that goes snicked, snicked. I'm your host, Jason, and we are here to continue our coverage of the X-Men event starring Wolverine, the 10 lives and deaths of Wolverine. And because of the weird shipping thing, we're going to double up. We're going to talk about issue four of both series this episode. So that's pretty exciting. It'll help pad out the content a little bit. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so as usual, before we can jump into the main event, we're going to cover the Marvel Unlimited Infinity comic, Life of Wolverine, and we will also double up on that. So we're going to talk about 7 and 8. These, of course, are written by Jim Zub, art by Ramon Box, colors by Hava Tataglia, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, production by Annie Chang, and Tim Smith III. So for 7, remember after 6, we left off with Wolverine being abducted for Lepinex, and we talk about kind of the trauma of his transformation here, uh, the retcon of Weapon X into Weapon 10 and Weapon Plus. Um, we talk about the people of Weapon X that did the experimentation, you know, Professor Cornelius Hines. And I guess I don't remember this, but we find out the professor's name is Chewett Hudson. And they talk about the coincidence of that and the Hudson's and he meets later. You know, and we see Wolverine's escape and the popping of his metal claws and his escape running through the wilderness until he meets James and Heather Hudson on their honeymoon in the Rockies. Um, and again, we, we get it kind of a Zub putting the spin or recapturing the spin, maybe. Um, that, you know, with a fractured and incomplete mind, the first time he pops his claws, it feels like a new torment brought upon you instead of the enduring legacy of your past. Not necessarily like a brand new idea, but I really like the way Zub phrased that. Some some really nice lines. Really cool. And then, talk about how they start Alpha Flight to counterbalance Fantastic Four and his first mission against the Hulk and that's to be continued. And then we're gonna we'll move into eight. Let me pull that up here real fast. What are you doing? Why are you showing me black? Come on. Don't be a punk. Loading error. Oh my goodness, don't do this to me, Marvel Unlimited. You are way too often a piece of junk of an app. <laughs> great service. Not a great app all the time. Is really gonna cheese out on me. My goodness. What a waste of bytes. Right, I'm gonna try relaunching the whole app. Maybe that'll work better. So we got the little Marvel Unlimited animated logo. There we go. Alright, chapter 8 A New Family. Um, so Jean, of course, has been our narrator, so now she talks about how their timelines come together. As he's recruited by Xavier to join the X-Men, we find out that even that was a manipulation. He was really sent to assassinate Xavier. We get the first mission on Krakoa. We get 
Wolverine's first creepy conversation with Jean from that X-Men classic backup. We get him trying to kill Xavier, and Xavier mind-wiping him um, and blocks all the embedded programming, but also closes the door on many of your fleeting memories. So again, not necessarily like a new concept, but Jim's up really putting us in very concise, like this is what happened here. Um, and Xavier says, you'll remember you're an X-Men, and that's it. And so he still has his urges, his animalistic and visual urges, his violent tendencies, his berserker rages, but he's a hero now. And we talk about how um, Alpha Flight kind of tries to come recollect him, and they can't. He gets to go to space and kill Fang and take his clothes. Um, <laughs> and then there's the X-Men in the downtime. We see a baseball game. We get a nice little team pose. And then we talk about how he goes to Japan and meets Mariko and really gives him the chance uh, to really go down the path of honor like for real and to be continued. So I like both of these were really nice. Again, nothing too novel in the concepts, but I feel like Jim Zub has done is doing a little bit more than just like category cataloging. He's actually adding some really nice insight or, you know, making things real concise. So I'm going to give both 7 and 8 and 4 out of 6 claws. So let's go now to the main event. We're going to start off with the 10 Lives of Wolverine, number 4. And this, of course, is Living Dangerously, or X underscore 4, uh, written by Benjamin Percy. Uh, art by Joshua Casara with Federico Vincentini doing a World War II scene. Um, colors by Frank Martin. Letters of production by VCs Corey Pennant. Woohoo! Designed by Tom Mueller. And the cover is by Adam Hubert and Frank Martin. And this cover is amazing. So it builds off the reveal from issue 3 where Wolverine is possessed by Omega Red. And we get a close-up of Wolverine on the upper half of his body. And it almost sounds like a Joker grin. He's got pale skin, red eyes, the Omega mark on his forehead. He has his claws and hands extended out, but then also coils. So he's got claws coming out of the top of his hand, coils coming out the bottom of his hand, and it's just a really, really great cover. Um, like, really great. Alright. So now we go to years ago in the Weapon X facility, and we see Cornelius, and he's looking at Wolverine's blood, and there's a little floating venom head. Which, oh, oh, we'll talk about that. And so, at this point, Cornelius is like, well, your blood has a parasite. Let's see what we can do with that. Um, I guess we'll probably take it out. But then Cornelius is possessed by Omega Red. Figures, if I can't stop the weapon that was sent to kill me, I'll just stop it from ever becoming a weapon. And he tries to kill Wolverine on the Weapon X table. Then we skip to Pearl Harbor, where Xavier's dad was on one of the aircraft carriers, and Omega Red takes over a, a, a pilot who is Lady Deathstrike's dad, and is going to crash the plane into Xavier. But Wolverine gets in a Canadian Air Force plane and flies in on a great page. So these are the Vincentini pages. Um, and he flies in, he's going to try to stop Omega Red. Then we go back to Columbia where Wolverine is possessed by Omega Red in his Team X days. He's going to kill Xavier, but Sabretooth, remember, is pissed at Logan, and he attacks Logan and says, 
the hell? I don't even recognize you, right? But it doesn't keep from fighting. We get a great splash page of them yelling at each other. So Omega Wolverine wraps a coil around Sabretooth's neck, and Sabretooth looks awesome. Kassara's art is really fantastic here. Then we go back to Weapon X, and the Venom part, the symbiote in Wolverine's blood does not want to die, so it protects Wolverine by turning into... Um, what, what were they called when the King in Black? The carnage creature with the spiral, the knoll, whatever? I don't know. Um, that version of Venom Wolverine pops off the table. And then we go back to World War II. Wolverine's able to stop the plane. Um, Omega Red and Sabretooth continue to... Omega Wolverine, I'm sorry. And Sabretooth continue to fight. Uh, Omega Wolverine tries to convince Sabretooth that he would want Xavier dead too, but Xavier or Sabretooth is too mad to listen. Um, Venom, Carnage, Wolverine starts tearing up the lab. He's about to kill Cornelius. Um, Wolverine in World War II actually like jumps out of the cockpit of the plane onto the other plane. Uh, Sabretooth bites through a coil. Cornelius gets away. Um, yeah, at some point, so, so this part's a little weird, because it looks like in the World War II scene that Wolverine has adamantium claws, because they're very distinctly bone in both the Team X scene and the Weapon X scene, it's pre-adamantium, like, Cornelius hasn't decided, we basically find out that after he tests and gets rid of the symbiote, that's when he decides to move on to adamantium. And, but this, the World War II scene definitely looks like adamantium claws, and he cuts a wing off a plane by jumping through it. And I know his bone claws are pretty strong, and I've cut through things that are questionable in the past, but I don't know, this seems very, very adamantium, which he would not have had in World War II. So, not sure about that. But then, you know, Wolverine kind of has an internal dialogue like, is this going to all work out and reset? Am I messing up time? Doesn't matter. Um, you know, I don't even know the difference anymore. And we see all these scenes um, and what the future will lead to. And then we see Sabretooth dragging. He rips Wolverine's heart out and eats it. Pretty gross. And he drags Wolverine into the, then back into the jungle. But then back in Krakoa, Jean panics because... She's lost Wolverine. And she says that, you know, when Omega Red took over his body in the past, that that broke the connection. And so she no longer, basically she's no longer driving the car. That someone else has taken the wheel and is taking over. And so Xavier tries to lean in and help him get a snit. And now, um, Mikhail Rasputin, has taken over Wolverine's present body and stabs Xavier in the shoulder. And that's where it ends. Okay. So I don't blame Percy for this at all. I don't really like introducing the symbiote to the Weapon X days. Or having that be... I know that there's that one issue where they like list out like there's that board with like all the weapons. And I know Venom is one of those. And I know that with all the Carnage 
King in Black stuff that we saw in that mission that I missed somehow <laughs> where Wolverine went to Vietnam with Nick Fury and fought a Null symbiote. So it makes sense then that a symbiote could have gotten into him a little bit, right? And into his blood and and all that. Now, to, in Cassara's favor, I love the little, like, venom head with tentacles swimming in the blood, like a little microbe. It looks awesome. Um, and like I said, I don't blame Percy. Like, it's in the sandbox. It's there. Why should he not use it? I'm just knowing that I'm... Knowing that 90% of comics fans like Venom a whole lot more than me, I just wasn't excited to see it. And I'm sure a lot of people were, though. And I don't want to begrudge anybody that. And it drug me down a little bit on the book. Um, just a hair. Not much. And we're talking I'm going to give this 5 out of 6 instead of 6 out of 6 claws. Um, just because I just don't... I don't know. It was a weird scene... I don't want to say, like, the, I mean, there's been lots of retcons to Weapon X, so it's not like it's some kind of sacred territory or anything. I don't know, it didn't do much for me to see the Carnage, King in Black symbiote embedded into that scene. And plus, I don't know, I just think all the Venomized character designs, I'm kind of over it. So it wasn't real, like, ooh, awesome to see, like, it. Again, Kassara into a very good version because you know, one of the things I love about Kassara as his art has evolved is that he does everything well. <laughs> and that includes that kind of body horror, which he definitely does with the symbiote here. Uh, Wolverine looks ghastly and nasty and, and it looks great. But I'm just not like... I think for a lot of people, like, oh, badass! I'm just kind of like... Eh. <laughs> so... So that's okay. It's fine. Not everybody can be. Not everything is for everybody. Um, but overall, still a really strong issue. Um, and then we kind of get the the payoff at the end of Mikael making his power move. You know, he's the one that's been empowering Omega Red to go back in time and stop Xavier. But now he's just going to take him in the present. So who cares what happens in the past? Um, you know, I like the idea of Omega Red also going back to Weapon X and trying to stop Wolverine before he becomes Wolverine, like when he's just, you know, Logan. Um, that's pretty great. Kassara's Sabretooth looks great. Um, yeah, art is top-notch. Story's right there on the cusp. Yeah, uh, 10 Lives number 4 is going to get 5 out of 6 claws for me. Can't wait to see how this concludes. and We're going to see a little bit how they wrap together in 10 Deaths of Wolverine number 4. So let's go to that. This is, of course, Death of Future Past, or X underscore 4, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Federico Vincentini, colors by Dijon Lima, letters and design by VCs Corey Pennant, woohoo, uh, designed by Tom Mueller, Adam Kubert and Frank Martin do the cover again, and this is an, another awesome cover. We have... Techno Wolverine or Terminator Wolverine coming through a Kokoan gate. He's kind of like in the middle of it, like part of him is through, part of him is not. It looks really awesome. So great job by Adam Kubert and Frank Martin yet again. <laughs> so another just awesome, awesome cover. Um, Alright, so we see a little bit in the future 
the near future in the Krakoan Armory. That's not that near, because Wolverine's got gray in his hair. He looks like Ray Shagul, and then Forge also has gray in his hair. But basically, he has like a magic bean. But instead of growing a beanstalk, it can grow a Krakoan gate through time. So right now, the Krakoan gates move through space. He says, this can go through time. And they, they say they're at the end. And Wolverine's like, do it. So Florida's like, oh, this is gonna, I'm going to like this. And he pulls Wolverine's eye out and sticks the scene in his eye socket. And then, you know, it heals over. Um, so he says, so Ford says, all right, just keep it secret, keep it safe, come back to us when you figure out what went wrong and then get attacked by a bunch of sentinels. Um, and that's that. Then we go to the far future in the preserve, and we find out more about what Wolverine as the last X-Men, last mutant was. He was kind of kept in a zoo and infected with the techno-organic virus um, by, well, it's not even by Moira. Um, so we get a, a snicked, and Wolverine stabs his own eye out. You'll stab your eye out. And he claws away the dirt, and he pulls the seed out of his eye and plants it. And covers it up real fast. He's like, please, please. And a gate grows and wraps him in a cocoon, which is what we saw. Techno, organic Wolverine, of course. Omega Wolverine erupt from, or I guess, birth from in, in 10 lives, sorry, in 10 deaths, number one. And so he's, he's going to go back in time and try to fix it. And, you know, Moira talks about how. You know, she saved the X-Men over and over, but they betray her. And then we have Wolverine, techno-organic Wolverine, with his family, Doc and Gabby and Wolverine, Laura. And they go after Dr. Chocladar. And he's like, you're too late. She's already gone. And Wolverine, Logan, techno-Logan's like, where is she? Terminator. And he's like, I don't know. And he says, they're not going to be nice. And, you know, they try to shoot him, but it doesn't work. Um, everyone else attacks him. Uh, Laura shows concern for Logan. And he says, I'm going to break your bones. And he says, this is my family. And I watched them all die. And he explains, he says, this is Dawkins. He dies quickly in an energy blast from a sentinel. This is Scout. Uh, honey badger, you mean. Um, she's discovered, she's depowered by Nimrod and ripped in half. This is Laura. This is... Wolverine, which is a great scene that he said, you know, he said that before. But just to see him continue to build up and encourage her Wolverine identity is so awesome. Um, he says, she's tortured and experimented on for years as the Homo Nomosema harvests her skin and organs. This is my family. Do you see them? So I'm really glad he got Wolverine right, but he got Scout wrong. You gotta call her Honey Badger. Sorry, Percy. Um, anyway, he says, do you see them? And Shakunar's like, I do. And he says, because it's not just us that dies, not just the mutants, the humans die too. And you just helped start it. And he says, so now I promise you, on the graves of my children, I will not kill you if you tell me where she is. And he starts crying and says, to Krakoa. She went back to Krakoa. And Wolverine uses the techno-organic part. Does like a scan of like heartbeat and brain patterns and He's telling the truth. So we get a really quick snicked and snacked of a claw up his nose. An awesome snicked and snacked. And Shafadar falls over and cries. And Gabby's like, I thought you weren't going to kill him. And he's like, I didn't kill him. I did kill his brain a little bit, his memory. 
pretty hardcore. <laughs> so Moira said she, you know, she and Banshee had a long-standing friendship from the Tiesman on your island, and she tricks Banshee into meeting her, and then basically wears them like a skin suit to get to the Krakoan Gate, um, and tears them off. <laughs> so I think Homo Superior asked, "Who is Ban? She?" Like, you know, the feminine pronoun. Um, as we see Moira ripping off Banshee's face, Silence and the Lamb style. Face off! Um, anyway, she tosses the skin suit aside, and we see Destiny at Mystique's resurrection, but she talks about how the future is so unclear because of Moira. Then Moira comes in, she gets some Krakoan weapons and a Krakoan battle suit, and Xavier tries to stop her by a hologram, and she's like, you can't even come threaten me in person? He's like, oh, I'm a little busy. And we see the, the stab wound in his shoulder. Um, and he tries to tell her, because she gets the gun, the depower gun. She's going to try to reverse it. And she and uh, Xavier and Forge both say it is no reversal. Like Forge intentionally built it this way, so in case she did come back, you couldn't repower yourself. Because her idea was she's going to shoot herself, get her powers back, and kill herself and wipe out this timeline, but she can't. She can't get her powers back, at least not this way. Um, and we see Destiny, and Moira says, stupid precogs, and she shoots Forge. So, whoa, I did not see that coming. So Forge gets depowered by this gun, and according to his own words, we have no reason to doubt it, at least in this way, he cannot be repowered. Now... I guess he can die and be resurrected. Because Xavier does point out that Moira doesn't have a backup, which is kind of weird. But again, I think part of the reason maybe she feels a little betrayed. And maybe, while she's making a really, really good villain right now, maybe not entirely unjustified. Um, but yeah, so she fights for and she goes after Destiny. She's going to try to kill Destiny, but then Wolverine shows up with a snicked and stabs Moira with six claws in the chest, but then Moira shoots old Wolver Techno Wolverine, and he is in really bad pain, and he says, y'all have to kill me without my healing factor, the Techno Organic Virus is gonna take over, and he's, he says, I can't stop it, and I, we, we, and he stands up over Moira's body, we are phalanx, and it, he looks gross and nasty and awesome, and yeah, art is fantastic, this story is still just a mile a minute, action to the maxion, um, I am loving it, it's such a good continuation of Inferno, um, I love the character beats, the dialogue, the art, the, the plot, the things left kind of hanging, um, it's, oh, it's just such a good series. Um, I'm going to give 10 deaths and Wolverine number 4, 6 out of 6 claws. So, we've had 8 issues of this event so far. And other than me being nitpicky about the dumb Venom thing, they're all 6s. <laughs> so I know I just gave 10 lives, 5 out of 6, and I stand by it. But I mean, really, honestly, like, this has been such a good event. And I cannot wait to see how this ends over the next two weeks. I hope everyone is enjoying the ride as much as me. And if nothing else, my goodness, the art quality on these two books has been 
so top-notch, so, so good, like unbelievably good. Um, and Percy, man, just continues. You know what, I mean, I mean, he's defining himself as one of the all-time great Wolverine writers. Like, he really is, and that's awesome. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah, this event is so good. I'm sure there's other things I could talk about, but I'm just too much in awe, so I know this is really fast. Luckily, we have some bonus content. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the new Punisher number one for just a second, because there is a barely there, not really Wolverine appearance in Punisher number one. And so this is Jason Aaron's new volume on the Punisher. Um... So, Punisher, King of Killers, Book 1, Chapter 1, The Blessings of War. Uh, written by Jason Aaron. Art by Jesus Science, And uh, by Paul Azaceda. Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by VCs Corey Pennant. Woohoo! And covered by uh, Jesus Science. Um, and the cover is pretty cool. It is. A red background with a bunch of knives and swords hanging and Punisher standing in front. He's got throwing stars in his arm. He's all scratched up. He's looking down in his shadows. Pretty cool cover. So we get a flashback of Punisher's origin. And then we get like a collage of like different cover images of the Punisher in a double page spread. And of course, there's a lot of Jim Lee in here. Wonder Woman includes uh, the War Journal cover with Wolverine... Uh, slicing at Punisher with his little leopard skin cape that he had. Um, so that's pretty awesome. And that's, I mean, that's all we have here. <laughs> so basically there's like these disciples of war. They all have like fake Ares helmets. And they're selling weapons to everybody. And Punisher finds them and takes them over. And he's got his new like ninja suit with his ninja skull logo, like Japanese demon mask. I think it looks great. I know some people complained about it. Um, anyway, find out he's now working with the hand. And short story, long story short, the hand recruited him, offered him a chance to exact his vengeance in a new way, and also gave him his dead wife back. So, typical hand stuff. Uh, there's a whole lot of him just fighting and hacking and shooting and all that. Um, the art's pretty great. Stories, fine. It takes a lot for me to get into Punisher stories anymore. This doesn't quite do it. Um,. I would give the whole thing, like punch number one, three out of six claws. <laughs> well, shoot, y'all, I done messed up. I actually meant to talk about this before I talked about Punisher, and I almost forgot I was supposed to talk about it, which I can't believe it, because it's a pretty good comic. Um, Sabretooth number two also came out this week, and we got to talk about it. So, here's what we got. We're going to look at Sabretooth number two, which is Misery Loves Company. Yes, it does. Which reminds me. <laughs> okay. So I got to take a sidebar. And I'll get back to the credits in a minute. Cameron, if you're listening, you will really appreciate this, I hope. So, Cameron, longtime friend of the show, my best friend forever and ever, uh, the original flashback co host. Um, you know, we grew up together, um, and Cameron's dad. I think still is. I don't don't think he's retired in the last couple of months. I could be wrong. Um, anyway, uh, ran a, a barber shop in Highland Park, which is a pretty nice neighborhood in 
North Dallas over kind of like the SMU area. Um, if you're from the area, you kind of know what it is. And um, anyway, so he, you know, he, he cut some pretty well-known Texans hairs in his years, including, you know, former governors and stuff like that. And um, I remember uh, one time uh, he, he cut this guy's hair, styled this guy's hair that was in a band in the very early 90s in Dallas. And I don't know if the band was actually based out of Dallas or the guy was just from Dallas and, like, came home to get his hair cut. He may have actually been, like, in L.A. or something. I'm not sure. Cameron might remember. You can write in and let me know. Um, Anyway, uh, he was in this band called Stranger Than Fiction, which is not a bad name except for the fact that it's a little overused. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't at the time, but, I mean... It's such a common phrase, um, it's such kind of a, a weird band name to try to pull off as something kind of unique. But um, anyway, it was kind of like a a pseudo new wave band, and uh, he had a song, or they, I don't know if it was just him or a whole band or not, actually. We never saw him play or anything, but I remember he, uh, he gave Cameron's dad a CD to give to his, his son, because his son played music, and... And the, I don't know what he was, what he thought would <laughs> come out of that. He's probably just being nice. Just probably just being a real nice guy. And um, anyway, Stranger Than Fiction, he had a song called Mystery Loves Company. And I can still remember it to this day. We listened to that CD so many times. Um, it was like, uh, if mystery loves company, then why must you make fun of me? I'll never understand. Um, and... You know, just imagine like the synth pop and everything going behind that. And uh, anyway, whenever I hear mystery, I'm sorry, whenever I hear misery, loves company, I always sing of that song um, by Stranger Than Fiction. I don't, I have not looked uh, to see if it's streaming on any of the streaming platforms or not. I don't know if it's like on Spotify or Bandcamp or or anything, but um, I may go try to find that after this podcast um, and just see. It's a happy memory. <laughs> It's probably a much cheesier song than I remember. I remember it being, like, you know, pretty cool, like, techno, and, um, you know, some some stuff that I thought was pretty cool back then is pretty flimsy, uh, you know, just wishing they were the cure or Depeche Mode. <laughs> but, um, anyway, I don't know. He gave us a CD, so I'm not going to bash the guy. He's a nice guy. He gave us a free CD, his, his demo, his single. Um, so, Stranger Than Fiction, man, we love you. All right, anyway, uh, back to Misery Loves Company, Sabretooth number two. And of course, oh, also the other title is Know Your Enemy, since all these X-Men books have two titles right now. Um, Victor Laval, or Lavalli, is the writer. Leonard Kirk is the artist. Arlene Barreto is the colorist. VCs Corey Pettit, who is the letterer. And Tom Mueller does the design. And there's a cover by Ryan Stegman, J.P. Meyer, and Frank Martin. And this cover is Flippin' fantastic. It's a close-up of a very gnarly, berserk, saber-toothed face um, in a classic prison pose, in this prison pose with his face between the bars, and he's got his hands wrapped around the bars, and he's screaming at the reader, and it's just it's an awesome cover by Ryan Stegman. So, remember this one, we're, we're finally catching up with Sabretooth in the pit. We saw him kind of become the ruler of his own kind of private hell in the pit. And then we see five more other mutants, and we saw the end of issue one, and we see their sentencing. 
and Magneto and Xavier are doing it by themselves. The council's other council seats are vacant, and they appeal to Doug Ramsey. He's like, uh, well, Doug and Krakoa disagree with this. I thought we weren't going to have prisons. Um, kind of calls him out. Says, we weren't, you said, no prisons. And then kind of backpedal and justify, well, you know, we didn't want prisons or punitive measures, but we thought that's because everyone would just be super embracing of Krakoa and everyone would get along and it turns out not everyone does and we made these laws and the people broke these laws and we got to throw them in the pit. More on kind of what I think that, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to some of the, the commentary. But, um, so we meet our five prisoners. We have Nekra and Oya, who... Um, Oya we've seen before. I don't remember Necra very well. I, I'm guessing, I mean, Necrocia had to be part of that, right? I thought that was more Celine. But, um, anyway. Um, yeah, they, they fought some humans, tried to overthrow some governments, and Oya was just kind of along for the ride, and they're going in the pit. And then we have Madison Jeffries. Um, we don't actually really say what he did. Um... He's not at this part, portion. Um, Melcher, um, and they, they, he calls it a timeout. Um, third Eye, and that's our five. And Doug reluctantly pulls him down, and then we go down to the pit, and our characters are all running from Sabretooth. Um, a couple of them try to fight back a little bit. Third Eye tries to kind of rise above, and he kind of figures out what's going on. The, the pit is... Even Sabretooth's reality is not real. That they're still kind of just in suspended animation being punished mentally, um, you know, forever. And that's kind of where, they, where they're stuck. And Third Eye sees that and reveals it to the team. But he's able to send his spirit out of the pit. Because they don't lose their mutant powers necessarily. And so he sends kind of a ghost to visit. You know, last issue we saw that Mole still has... Nightmares about Sabretooth from the Mutant Massacre. And we get some really cool characterization of Mole, like, um, about how he's kind of ashamed of that whole situation, not just because, you know, with survivor's guilt, which he obviously has some of that, but also, you know, he says it wasn't his best day. You know, he was um, jealous of Angel and a girl. Um, let's see if it talks about... I don't remember who exactly what girl it was. Hold on. Um, oh, Opal. It was Opal. Yeah. So, yeah. So, he was jealous of Angel and Opal and was kind of just spying on them. And then he went back down to the sewer and that's where Sabretooth was waiting for him. And then he, you know, he used his power to escape. And he was guilty and ashamed, not only for surviving, but because, you know, he was kind of being a skeeve anyway. Um... And so anyway, he now knows um, from the spirit of Third Eye kind of a little bit what's going on. They're, they're calling for help, and he decides he's going to see if he can help them. But no one really listened to him. Apocalypse won't listen to him. Storm won't listen to him. Wolverine won't listen to him. He sees Angel flying above. So he doesn't even notice me, just like last time. And and Mole's kind of our character that, that says... You know, this has, has some similar vibe and feel to some of the stuff that uh, Vita Ayala is doing, uh, both in Children of the Atom that they did and also in their New Mutants run, which is kind of this, 
you know, we have the big X-Men story. What about all the other people? And and Mole kind of realizing that, you know, not everyone is equal in Krakoa. There's still classes, and he still feels kind of beneath, and he, he wants to help. And then we see that Xavier's reimagined the pit. You know, if they want to call it a prison, fine. It's Krakoa State Penitentiary. And he has these Sabretooth and the other five all in a cell. And Magneto's the warden, or no, I guess he's like the guard, and Xavier's the warden. And we find out that Melter, like, his crime, the law he broke, was to not harm the land. And he was just practicing his powers, and he accidentally melted some Krakoa. And that's why he's in the pit, which sucks <laughs> and they threw him in there for that and um yeah um but Sabertooth says you know what I got a plan they never count on me to be smart they always underestimate my intelligence and we're going to escape I have a scheme and we're going to burn this island to the ground so you know kind of get in line for burning the island but um but yeah so art's pretty good story's pretty good um I enjoy it maybe quite as much as the first one, but it's still rife with just commentary. Um, kind of showing that Krakoa is not an equal land of promise for all citizens. You know, we have not only the people incarcerated somewhat fairly or unfairly, depending on what you're looking at the crime. I mean, Sabretooth if you're going to be in favor of a penal system, you can argue that he fell into the crime to at least justify it a little bit. But then you have, like, the Melter is just way, way, way extremely punished for an accident. Um, anyway, uh, you have, so you have that, and I'll come back to that in a second. But, but even the classism with, like, Mole and just kind of being ignored and not really, you know, we, you know, you have stuff in the New Mutants, and like I said, Children of the Atom that, that, you know, plays a different kind of spin on just how people don't all fit into this Krakoa the way that maybe they want to or were promised to. And that feels very much like a statement on the United States, that we have these strong ideals, and they're, for the most part, pretty good ideals that we should be striving for, but there's a lot of inequality and there's a lot of people who are treated like second class or made to feel as though the quote-unquote American dream doesn't actually apply to them. And I think, you know, we've kind of gotten past the honeymoon of Krakoa, you know, well past with Inferno and all that. But I'm um, really showing the cracks and how not, you know, you have your top-tier X-Men, so to speak, who... And then the, the, the mutants on the council, who very much are kind of the ruling class. And yeah, man, Krakoa is all coming up roses for them most of the time. But then you have this whole other set of mutants, and particularly guys like Mole, who were more mutated visibly, uh, who just don't get the same amount of respect, same amount of power, same amount of dignity. And, man, that's definitely a statement on where we live and the time we live in, where there's, you know, different people groups, whether it's race or sexual identity or, you know, whatever that you want to call it, there, there are different classes of people in this country who just don't 
feel as though they're being given the full promise. And I think in many, many respects, that's true. They're not. And we, we need to continue to fight and vote and whatever to try to change that, to try to make it so everyone does get the full promise of what this country can and should be. Um, so I love that aspect of this story. Uh, you know, and thanking Grant, Grant sent me a very nice message after I talked about Sabertooth number one, and I kind of went on a, a kind of, I wasn't walking on eggshells, but I, I definitely get nervous when I talk about some issues where I don't feel like I have it entirely figured out. Like, it's real easy to make a really strong opinion and take a really strong stance on kind of stuff that's obvious, like bigotry is wrong, racism is wrong, uh, homophobia and transphobia is wrong. I can say that very cleanly. Cleanly, that's not a word. I tried to uh, marry plainly and clearly. I can say that very plainly and clearly and, and know without any kind of caveat that, yeah, this is that's my position, uh, one of compassion and dignity and equality for everybody, and yeah, duh. You know, it's a little harder sometimes on what, trying to live that out and determining, you know, the balance in specific policies. Sometimes, again, the answer can be very obvious, right? Supporting, you know, marriage equality very obvious, right? Uh, but I, you know, I kind of stumbled a little bit through my my kind of lack of a solid opinion on the very complex issue of, you know, criminality and, and rehabilitation and how we deal with that. Um, and Grant just sent me a very nice, encouraging uh, message about, you know, he appreciated my, my candor and my honesty um, and trying to, you know, trying to find an answer, not really knowing what it is right away. Um, so thank you, Grant. And as always, guys, really, if you're not listening to Truth, Truth Justice, and Hope, the Superman podcast that Grant does, please go do it like, right away. Even if you want to stop this and come back to it, just, you know, go listen to Grant. He's awesome. Thank you, Grant. Love you, buddy. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, so we have kind of a commentary on the Krakoan society at large and how it treats its citizens, how it has classes. And then there's more kind of um, discussion in the subtext of the story about, you know, the prison system. And, you know, it's really interesting because you have some intentional or unintentional commentary that I read into the story. Um, I think some of it was very intentional, like you have the two old white guys who will do whatever it takes to maintain their power and of subjugating or having unfair punishment on some citizens as a display of power and to control. Um, and maintain control is what needs to happen, then they're going to support that system. Even if they say on the outside, we don't want this, but it's for your own good. I mean, how many times have we seen that? Whether politicians are conservative or more progressive, sometimes the social issues they talk about, they talk a really big particular person or party. I think we, we see that a lot across the board. And we see that definitely in the story where the promise of Krakoa was no prisons, but here we have first Sabretooth. Like I said, a little possibly more, if you're going to support the idea of the pit, Sabretooth is a good candidate. But then you have these other five with varying degrees of guilt thrown in with him. 
and we'll get to that's another kind of point <laughs> but um anyway just the idea that you know we say that we don't want to do this we don't want to have this kind of system but the system helps us so we're going to go ahead and support it anyway and say this is just the fringe extreme case it's not the norm we're making an exception we still believe what we said we believe but you know listen to our words more than our actions and so very much, uh, I think, political commentary there. Um, we also have, maybe a little less intentional, Doug Ramsey and Krakoa, who I think is the idea of the voice of youth, right? And that he protests, but in the end, he does what he's told. And I, I don't, I'm not trying to make a generalization that that is what our youth culture is. I think there's a lot of very people of all ages who are doing working really hard to make this a better place to live, a better world to live, a better planet, and a better country, right? But you do have some people who, you know, will maybe protest lightly, but when the chips are down, they kind of stick with the status quo for whatever different reasons. There's lots of different motivations for that. Um, and again, not judging anyone. It's hard to take stands, and sometimes when you don't know what the stand is, it's even harder. And... You know, we just have to learn to continue to try to be braver and have more courage, um, especially when it, when it comes to standing up for other people. I mean, more than any other policy or anything like that, when it comes to actual people, we just need to all learn to be stronger. Uh, going back to Grant, you know, we, seem, we need to learn to be more like Superman, <laughs> have that, that truth, justice, and hope, and, and the full definition of all those words. Um, but yeah, um, so I think that was probably a little less intentional. I, I think, you know, Laval or Valley would probably be a little less stern in his admonition of youthful protests, but it did kind of stick out to me just a little bit. Um, so yeah, so you know, hoping that the Doug gets a chance to kind of do better, and we've seen that right where in the X Men Green series where he lets Nature Girl out in the back, or where he helps Moira escape and not be murdered. Um, you know, he he does he has made some very brave decisions, and so I hope we see more of that growth from Doug. I really enjoyed Doug post Hawksbox like a lot I mean, it's kind of a character I was kind of like ah yeah sure Doug but now I really like him a lot and I really enjoyed his arc uh, through all this so hope to see more of that um kind of some more commentary that I think you see here is you know the idea of, of everyone kind of being thrown in the same place the punishment does not fit the crime um you have the melter who accidentally melted some vegetation and rock and with Sabretooth who murdered humans and they're in the same place serving the same sentence and you know whatever you think about our penal system I know there's different security levels but you still see just a lot of inequity and people being forced into a situation with people of various um, malicious intent and you know kind of just the way the population is structured how it's not really the punishment doesn't always fit the crime. Obviously, you know, on top of that, a very big commentary on um, unjustified imprisonment. And, you know, we see that a lot in our country as well. Um, whenever you feel, again, about the penal system, there's a lot of people in there who shouldn't be. Um, and I think you can say that pretty plainly, right? And whether it is the evidence is in the, the case is overturned at a later date, or whatever, we know there's people falsely in prison, and I think unequivocally or unequally 
falsely imprisoned among, you know, marginalized people, groups, and minorities. Um, and, you know, Laval, I think, made a very intentional choice that Melter is the white guy, right? So it, it's it's not entirely about race or, or class in this story, but you definitely, though, know that there are many people and many much reform is needed to keep people out of prison who shouldn't be in prison to begin with. Um, and then, you know, treatment of prisoners, also um, a very big subtext of this story. Uh, Professor X very, very grossly manipulating the, those in the pit, um, you know, allowing them to live out some power fantasy when it's not real, um, and then just constantly kind of changing the scenery, uh, whether they want it or not, you know, going from having Sabretooth build this hell and then sending the other prisoners into Sabretooth's hell and then saying, you know what, all right, you want, you want this to be a jail? Fine, it's a jail. And moving them out of that scene into a jail cell. Like, again, really Xavier Magneto, and I hate that Magneto's left into this because I like him a lot more than Xavier historically. Um, but man, really flexing their power and their their status and maintenance, maintenance of their power um, as rulers of Krakoa and some pretty gross abuse of it, and I think that's what this story is really getting to. So, I'm sure I'm missing some other things, but those are kind of the ones that really jumped out at me. I would love to hear what else you're getting out of the story. Um, I will say that aside, I, um, so the first issue was a very, very keen look into kind of Sabretooth's character while also exploring some of the social ramifications. I feel like this one, the social ramification, was just as strong and just as powerful, but the story itself was not quite as interesting. Um, so, I don't know. I'm on the fence whether I want to give this 4 out of 6 claws or 5 out of 6 claws. Um, now, the only benefit of the doubt just because it made me think so much. I'm going to go 5 out of 6 claws, but it wasn't quite as strong of a 5 as number 1. But still a very good comic, and a very interesting comic, and a very thought-provoking comic. So I hope you're reading it and enjoying it, but definitely let me know. Um, Alright, well that's going to do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Sorry to end on such a dour kind of political note, but hey, sometimes we just need to tackle these things. And I hope if nothing else this inspires you to at least put some thought into how you feel about some of these things. Like I said, I'm don't really know what the answer is to some of these questions. Some some answers are really obvious, some less so. But I enjoy wrestling with it. And part of being a mature, responsible, compassionate adult is not just ignoring tough questions, but dealing with them and thinking about them and, and trying to wrap your mind around them. So I hope that this story inspires you to do some of that as well. I know it has for me. So... Anyway, that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, as always, for the podcast that goes snicked, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. Show notes and stuff are snickcast.podbean.com. And yeah, that's, that's it. So please, everyone out there, stay well, stay safe. And until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked. <laughs>